Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Alan. Let us take a look today at impact investing using real estate to change the world. Stephen Libman is one of the managing partners of Integrity Holding Group. Prior to Integrity, Stephen began as a realtor and then flipped almost 1,000 properties in the residential real estate space, and he actually lived to tell about it. After getting burnt out, in a very traditional, highly taxed business model, IHG moved into the multifamily and self-storage space to create passive tax-advantaged income for themselves and their investors. Stephen, take us into the show and share a memorable experience that may have been key to who you are today. Yeah, thanks, Alan, for having me. I really appreciate you inviting me on. Love to share a little bit about kind of who we are and what made us that way? So yeah, I think the first thing that always comes to mind when people ask me about like, how did you become an entrepreneur was my grandfather was an entrepreneur. He came over from Liverpool, England when he was about 14 years old, escaping the war. And he came over by himself and he lived in a gas station while he was pumping gas and changing mm-hmm. tires. And he saved enough money to send back for his two siblings to come over as well. And they ended up buying that a gas station. And from there, he started to build a, a tire business as the economy started to come down a little bit and franchise that out and ended up having a, a good exit to a little company called STS Tires. And he was an entrepreneur to start. And when I was around him, when I was five and six years old, I would always see kind of the lifestyle he was living and asking him about how how he got a business started and you know what, what drove him. And him and I are really the only entrepreneurs in the family. So he certainly had an impact on me that way. Well, that is quite fascinating. That is entrepreneurial spirit. Skipped a generation, but it was influential for you. What a start, 14 years old and making a living for himself and for his siblings. That is a very driven individual. And obviously, you've inherited some of that uh, spirit. Well, Stephen, talk to us about the core values to drive investing decisions. Sure. So I think what investors don't talk about a lot is kind of the why that they do the investing, right? And there's a great book or article called Seven Layers of Why. And it really comes down to, oh, I want to invest so I could have passive cash flow. Okay, ask yourself why. Well, I want to have passive cash flow so that I can work less. Okay, why? Right. And you do that seven times and you just kind of get to the core of what it is and why it is that you want to do what you want to do. And I think it's all predicated, all decisions in some form or fashion are based on your own core values, right? So you should have core values for yourself, you should have core values for your family. And basically, if those are things that violate your core values, don't do them. If they're things that align with your core values, go ahead and do them. So I think investors, even though they they think of themselves as maybe more passive or even if they're actively investing, right, your partnerships, your relationships, the deals that you're doing, the why behind all of it should be based on core values that you come up with. And, you know, a simple little exercise to write down for to come up with your core values if you haven't yet is just sit down and Think about the people that you admire in your life and write down seven to 10 qualities about that person and then do that again for two or three other people that you admire in your life. And you'll start to see some overlap. And as you start to see that overlap, you can say, oh, okay, this must be a core value of mine, right? Whether it's integrity, honesty, transparency, hard work, 
work ethic, smart. There's all kinds of different ones, but you'll start to see some overlap in those people. And then once you find those and other people, you can begin to surmise that those are your core values. And so after you have gone through that exercise, where do you go from there? Well, so if I'm analyzing investments, right, as an investor, the first thing I want to do is make sure that the people that I'm partnering with adhere to those core values. Right. So getting to know people, finding out if you can know, like, and trust them and seeing and making sure that they're aligned with your core values, I think is the big, the big piece of that. Investing is a team sport typically. So nobody's out on an island. So I think it's just very important to find your tribe of people that agree with you in terms of your core values. Well, you've been through the ringer, so to speak, in terms of starting out with fix and flips, which is a very glamorized part of the real estate investing industry. But to those who have done fix and flips, it is anything but glamorous. How long were you in that you you fixed and flipped over a thousand properties? How long was that? How long did that take you? We did that over about seven or eight years. How did you survive? It's always a a learning curve. You know, the first five years were very difficult, frankly. We hired and fired a lot of people. We wholesaled some deals. We did some flips, but we never really ramped and scaled the business that much in five years. And it was just Mm -hmm. because we were on what I call the entrepreneurial island, not thinking that other people are doing this too. And then I found some like-minded individuals that were doing this across the country. And, you know, we went from 16 deals a year to 80 deals a year the next year. Mm. Then, you know, 120 deals. And, you know, so I think it's important to get around like-minded individuals that can help you scale. And then as we scaled, we, we found systems and processes that worked. But after a while, we realized that maybe we were building the wrong business. Insofar that our tax bill was insane. The overhead was insane. The business is really a cash eating machine. And we were due just this huge tax bill at the end of every year. We had high turnover rates. It's a difficult business. You know, we had contractors that frankly just don't show up or the tile guy doesn't show up. And there's just a lot to manage, right? And another mentor of mine said, you know, you should probably take some of that active income and parlay it into some commercial deals because it'll help you offset your tax bill. And I was like, that doesn't sound right. And they suggested a great book to me called Tax-Free Wealth by Tom Wheel right? Where he discusses how to utilize the tax code as a benefit rather than a detriment, meaning the tax code is basically a big book of laws and telling you how to pay less in taxes. And I always looked at it as kind of the boogeyman waiting to jump from behind the bushes and get me. And it changed my perspective a little bit on how we were doing our business so that we could pay less in taxes. And the next couple of years or the next year and a half or so, we built about 400,000 square feet of self-storage complexes down in Orlando, Florida. And we got a couple million dollars worth of depreciation from those new construction builds. And we paid no taxes that year. And I said, wow, I think we may have built the wrong business in so far that it's very transactional. It needs You need to find another deal every day to make sure that you have income coming in. And this is a little bit different. Not that it's not active because we're the operator. So it is active, but much more long term, much more passive in the cash flow and much more tax advantage. So once that took place, we shut that other business down and moved full time into operations, property management, and now fund. Well, an interesting trajectory there. Uh, You know, a lot of people see all of these things on the various different networks where people are fixing and flipping and making all kinds of money. But those of us who have been in fix and flip soon begin to realize that it's a job, not an investment. And you certainly came to that realization and, and found other vehicles to do that. What was the big call of your life? Softball questions, huh, Dr. Allen? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the big call, I think, for me is is really to help people, right? So we have a donor-advised fund that 
we work with that we've created that is our fund that we run where we started carving out a percentage of profits a couple of years back into the donor advised fund to help nonprofits with their mission. So through some prayer, we were trying to figure out how to get there, you know, to give more now before we quote made it there. And, um, you know, I feel like a lot of people have this like, well, when I get here, I can start giving more abundantly. And I didn't want to wait, right? I, wanted, I had a heart for giving right away and I wanted to figure out how to do that now versus then then. And we came up with the donor advised fund that we started. And, you know, we started carving out 1% of the annual cash flow of a deal, then 2%, then 8%, then 12%, then 20%. And it's been pretty cool to see how many lives can be impacted by the money that comes from this business that can go around the world and really help. Help people. Tell us a little bit more about the donor advice. You're contributing to that from your own proceeds. How does it actually work for the nonprofits that you're working with? Is it just a straight contribution or are there integrations into the business and so on and so forth? Yeah, so there's not integrations. NCF, who is our donor advised fund administrator, can actually do that if you wanted to give a percentage of a deal to a particular nonprofit versus the percentage of a cash flow through that nonprofit. So that's interesting and complicated all in, in the same way. For us, we just said, okay, so let's do a percentage of cash flow. Now that it's evolved over time, we do a, a complete percentage of profit. And you know, every year that profit contribution or added profit goes up, that percentage goes up. Mm -hmm. So our goal is to be able to continue to grow and end up giving away 80% of our net profits without affecting investor returns. Wow, that is impressive. Stephen, what do you mean by success to significance? I find that a lot of our investors and a lot of entrepreneurs that we work with feel similarly to this. I think that they solve the money problem and recognize that money only solves money problems, right? And that there's a certain level of attained financial success that's there, but there's still a hole. There's still something that's missing in their lives. There's still something that they're looking to fulfill in themselves. And overwhelmingly, I find that people find it through giving and participating in philanthropy and, you know, working in, in causes that are close to their heart. So <clears throat> what we mean by that is just, you know, success, I think, can be often misinterpreted as a financial bar barometer. I think everybody should define success themselves in like what so what that means for them not just finance, but outside of that. But assuming the world is correct, right? And they're talking about financial success. Then we also want to move to from, from a place of success to being significant. And how does that mean? How does that translate? And significance is kind of whatever you self-define it as, right? And if you're a father, maybe being a significant father and a significant impact for your kids is important. If you're a Christian, then being significant in the kingdom of Christ is an important aspect of your life. But I think it's important to, similar to your core values, sit down and write through what is significance? What does it mean to me to be significant? And how do I start to achieve those things? And I think overwhelmingly, it's giving of yourself, not just your money. Well, this plays into this, of course. How do we go about building our tribe to help us to take us to this success to significance. You know, it's kind of like anything else, right? You got to get out there. You got to put yourself out there. You have to be your authentic self in rooms full of other people. You have to be vulnerable with other folks, right? And you have to find those folks that are adhering to your core values, that believe the same things that you believe. And I'm not talking like echo chamber stuff, right? Like not like the politicized, oh, you believe what I believe. I mean, have the same vision for their lives, same goals for their lives, for their families' lives, and get around those folks and and start to network with them so that you can become more congruent in where you're going, right? I think a lot of people find their tribe because they're going in the same direction. And if you can 
but you have to put yourself out there, right? You have to, you're not going to find it sitting in your living room. You're not going to find it sitting behind a computer. You're going to find it getting out there and meeting new people. Exactly. And the more people you meet, the more opportunities there are to find people who are aligned with you in multiple ways, particularly in your values. Stephen, tell us what you have to offer as yourself and as an entrepreneur for our audience and how it is they can get in touch with you. Yeah. So we have a bunch of free resources on our website. If you go to Integrity HG, You can sign up for our investor club. We have a passive investor email course that you can take for free and you just sign up for some of those things. You get some free resources and there's a lot of blogs and we we run a podcast called Free From Wall Street that you can listen to and see if you can take some nuggets away from that. Every once in a while, I have my five-year-old or my eight-year-old join me on that podcast to talk about investing from a very high level and starting to plant the seeds of what long-term wealth creation and generational wealth creation looks like from that perspective, which I think is kind of fun. And then we also have our donor-advised fund clients. Our, Our nonprofits come on here and they share stories and they talk about why it's impactful and how it helped and some different cool things. So I think hopefully some people will find some of that information valuable. And if you sign up for the Investor Club while you're on that website, you'll also get the opportunity to talk to us about some investment funds that we run and some of the deals that we're t- that we're doing and things like that. What was the second part of that question? That was the question, I believe. So you certainly did. You used the term donor-advised fund, which is a new term to me. Did you invent that or is that a word that is in the vernacular I'm just not familiar with? Yeah. So I think there's a couple ways to give. And what we were looking to do and the first year that we did this, we were just writing checks to nonprofits and then we would wait for their, what do you call those? Kind of like your statement in the mail at the end of the year that says this was your taxable or your tax your contributable gift. Yeah. Right. Okay. And <clears throat> You know, so we were just looking for different ways to do that. And somebody referred us to a company called NCF, the National Christian Foundation. And NCF runs a platform that will administer your donor advised fund for, I mean, for really no cost. And what's cool about a donor advised fund is if you run a business in December, you start getting a lot of phone calls, right? People saying, hey, do you need that tax deduction? Do you want to give? The donor advised fund allows you to kind of give consistently throughout the year. Like I even have one for my family. Now that we have one for the business, I started one for my family because I'm giving tithes to the church every week. I give offerings over and above that to different nonprofits as well. And as an entrepreneur, maybe this is you. I think there's two types of entrepreneurs, ones that are very organized and ones that are maybe not so organized. I am the latter. So at the end of the year, all of these donation deductible things would come in and I'd lose half of them and I'd forget to submit them and say la vie, right? We'd end up paying taxes on the money that we ended up giving, which is not the hugest deal, but there is a benefit to it. The donor advised fund, I can literally just move money from my either family checking account into my family donor advised fund or my business checking account into my business donor advised fund. And the tax deduction, it becomes tax deductible at that moment. You don't actually have to give that money away in that calendar year. It becomes tax deductible when you have a company like NCF that takes it in for you because it moves it out of your bank account into theirs. And then over time, when needs arise, you can distribute it to those nonprofits. And because we were trying to do this on a rolling basis, we wanted to stack some reserves in that so that when needs arose, we could just send money out and also do some consistent giving too. Because I don't know if you've been in the nonprofit world, but overwhelmingly, they do not have consistency of giving. They have these big pops throughout the year. But can you imagine running a business that way? It's impossible, right? You can't do cash flow management that way. You can't do projections as to where you want to go that way. So we, we kept hearing from our nonprofit partners like, hey, you know, I appreciate the gift, but can you break it out over the next year? And mm-hmm. so 
So that made it automatic. So we started moving money automatically from the business account into the donor advised fund, and then they would take care of the moving it out to the donor advised fund. And then the best thing for guys like me is at the end of the year, you can print one statement and it shows all of your giving to all of the organizations with one finalized number. So like if you lose or throw away some of those things that comes back to your house, it doesn't matter because you could print it out from the donor advice fund. Well, you mentioned NCF, the National Christian Fund. Are there other organizations similar to this or is this kind of a unique organization? I know that there are other donor advised fund administrators. I do not know who else does it, but I do know that there are other administrators for it. Well, Stephen, what else do you have to share with us today? I mean, I think that I think that what we touched on is important, the, the core values and success to significance. But I think if there's any like one big takeaway that your audience can take is to give yourself some time to think through where you want to be and how to get there, right? Because I think a lot of us are taught to be reactive rather than proactive and to maybe not have a growth mindset. And I find that a lot of investors do tend to have a growth mindset and not that they need to be taught, but it's always good to be reminded that you could want to grow, but unless you're carving out time in your life and space to grow, you shouldn't expect it. What I mean by that and what I just taught my team in terms of this is, you know, easily you get caught up in the business of life right? And things fall by the wayside all the time. And whatever those things are, if growth is a core value of yours and it is of ours, then you have to make sure that you're carving out time on your calendar for your core values, right? If family time is a core value of yours, make sure you're putting family time on the calendar. If growth is a core value of yours, make sure that you have a growth time for yourself on your calendar. And people might think that that sounds selfish, but you can't get there without doing things like this, right? You're not going to automatically grow. I think a lot of people come out of high school and college and think that they're going to continue to automatically grow because you've been in school and you've been growing every single year, but that's just not the case, right? How do you become a better father? How do you become a better husband? How do you become a better investor? All of that is based on information that you still need to go out and get or finding the right partners to partner with. Make sure you're carving out time to do that, right? Spend an hour a week making new phone calls and saying, hey, I see you're an investor. I'm an investor too. Where might there be some synergy? Oh, I, I see that you're growth oriented. I'm growth oriented too. What book are you reading? So I can go out and buy it. So I know that sounds a little woo-woo. And I think, you know, from a guy who runs a $100 million fund, it probably is not as tactical as people might think, but that that's important stuff, right? If it doesn't show up in your calendar, it shouldn't show up in your life. Very good uh, thought, Stephen. And a lot to unpackage here in terms of going from the micro aspects of that and just putting these things on your calendar to actually evaluating your calendar, which I'm sure you do on a regular basis to ensure that what is on your calendar is a part of growth, which is your core value there, or you could call it your intentionality. And like you said, those that those may sound kind of woo-woo, they may sound kind of trivial, but it's those those basic things that can make a tremendous difference. It's like some of my other guests who have talked about just doing one thing each day intentionally can make a huge difference over, you know, 365 days. But without that initial intention to do something each and every day, then absolutely nothing gets done and there is no growth, there is no change. And we look back on those 365 days that have just passed and go, what happened? <laughs> right. I'm still, today I'm still where I was 365 days ago. So it not only takes intentionality, it also takes discipline. So talk to us just a moment here before we close out here about the discipline aspect of that. Yeah, so this is a challenge for me still. I'm not a very disciplined person by nature. And what I've done over time 
is to figure out how to put those things in my calendar so that I that they're just there, right? I don't I don't get to skip them. I don't get to think like, should I do this? Should I not do this? Even down to this week, we've done like meal planning all week, right? So like, I know what we're eating every meal. I know where, you know, what time we're going to the gym every, every week. And this is, this is new by the way, for me, but the reason that there was a lack of discipline before is because it didn't show up in my calendar, right? One of my favorite mentors always told me like your priorities show up in your calendar, right? Just like I go to church every Sunday at 1030, like that's all my calendar. That's a non-negotiable. Like what other things can be put into your calendar that are non-negotiables? If it's going out to dinner with your wife once a week, if it's going for a walk once a day, like what other things need to show up? And there's a great book by Jocko Willink. He's a former Navy SEAL commander and it's called Extreme Ownership. And one of the things that one of the chapters in his book is called Discipline Equals Freedom. And I used to think in my younger days that discipline would require me to give things up. And what I found was that by being intentional about putting things on my calendar, I could get a lot more done in probably half the time than if I sat and thought and procrastinated and, you know, live that life of non-discipline. So the more discipline you get, the more freedom that you have because you know what is getting done, you know when it's getting it done, and then it gives you a lot more free time because you've mapped out your calendar and you can keep open times in your calendar for other things. So it was it was a learning curve for me. I know people that are much more naturally disciplined and it took some work over the last decade or so to to figure out how to become intentional. And I think maybe you can use that word interchangeably with discipline. For me, I still think because I'm not really a rule follower that I don't like the the word discipline, but it, it really does. Discipline really does equal freedom. Absolutely. Well, Enlightened Investors, another enlightening episode. Thank you for being with us. I look forward to being with you in our next episode. And thank you so much for Stephen for sharing with us today. Thank you, sir. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com. 